peace salutations to you, dear thrill-seeker and purveyor of terror and chill. Enter, if you dare, into the dark sanctum of the Psycho Kino, for a special and ghastly offering of movies most foul. From his slumber, under this fullest of moons, we have awoken the vision caster himself, Lloyd the Bud Cotton, to cast into your very souls black offerings of terror and horror spewed from the hellish and harrowing minds of Luke Searle and Graham Thomas. For they, the servants of despair and degradation, invite you to join them in a journey deep into the darkest heart of dread, into the very center of fear. Pray to God, lowly mortal, that you have the courage to come with us now into the abyss of Resource Movies Halloween Special Envocato Disperium. That's me and Trey. <laughs> Are you trying to do that in a Rumpel Skilted voice? Green greetings and spooky salutations to you, dear Thrillsica. It's the way you went for. Hey! You were just immediately back to Cheeky Graham. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Perfect, perfect, man. There we go, dudes. Get some, get some spooky, uh, spookiness underneath that. Sounds We're sorted, like mate. Nice, done. <laughs> um, so here we are. We are in mm. the renamed Psycho Kino for a Halloween special, a spooky Halloween special. How are you? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling terrified, man. I'm feeling absolutely on the edge of losing all sanity in a uh, <laughs> Cthulhu-esque nightmare, man. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Exactly as I should good. be feeling on this hallowed of all leaves. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to chat a little bit about horror movies, some of our favourites, what horror means to us, and then get a pitch in for some Horrible, ghastly tales of terror and blood-chilling dread. Oh, yes. So, what does horror mean to us, man? Sorry, we're not going to deliver an essay, but what are some first... <laughs> horror and me. Yeah, horror dictionary definition. <laughs> yeah, what are your first memories, man? How did you... like Some very kind of primal reactions to some of the, the scarier films that I've seen, yeah. um, especially coming to the love of cinema you watch horror perhaps when you shouldn't because um, it's that <laughs> illicit nature of it. i think we talked about alien um yes. before but there are certain other elements in my in my kind of relationship with horror that came to me whereby i didn't realize i was watching a horror or in fact the film might not even be classified as a horror but it had such a reaction to me that it terrified me and gave me the dread and the nightmares so one film in particular to me, it's outright horror, but I don't think it would be classified as horror by anyone else. Okay. was um, the Terry Gilliam film, Brazil. <sighs> now, when I saw that the first time, I think <laughs> I was probably 14 or 15. And there's something about the design of that film. There's something about the, the nightmarish, um, obviously the nightmarish bureaucracy. There's something about the production design. I remember um, being scared by all the kind of cables and pipes and yeah, it's almost Geiger-esque almost, yeah, and it's, it's like intestinal imagery and whatnot. The way that these buildings were designed in this world, it seemed like humans were an absolute afterthought. Like the buildings seemed alive with all their their entrails on display, and then we just happened to like have to find our space within them, which felt like a really horrible, terrifying thing. And obviously that's a symptom of the, the crushing bureaucracy that um, our hero in that film uh, suffers through just felt for my young impressionable mind that I was watching a nightmare unfold in front of me 
and I've never seen, I don't think I've seen the film since that first time. I've seen bits and I know that it's a masterpiece and everything like mm -hmm. that, but it really affected me and I couldn't sleep and I was just thinking about it all day and it was just dreadful. And I think that might be why I've hated every office job I've ever had. <laughs> because I feel like <laughs> I was going to say, it just prepared you for yeah. later life, didn't it? It's like, it's, thanks, yeah. Terry, giving us a little window into the future. It was unlike any of the other films I'd seen, obviously with the production design, but Terry Gilliam's particular styles and tone. his choices, his tone. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just really, really threw me for a loop and it just, yeah, it rattled me to my very core much more than, say, I don't know, Nightmare on Elm Street had done. Mm -hmm. This yep. was a different level of terror. And especially because I didn't, I didn't have ways in which I could express why it was affecting me. Yes. I couldn't yeah. say because the scary man with a knife chopped the woman's head off. It was just a pervasive sense of dread that seeped under my skin and got right really down into me. And I couldn't explain it and no one else could understand it. And... So that made me feel, feel even more alienated and scared, like trying to describe a nightmare to someone <laughs> and they, they don't care. And obviously it's never as scary to them as it was to you. Yep. And watching Brazil was a nightmare for me in the best possible way. So was that the first thing you can remember watching or was that just the most impressionable um, horror movie sort of back when you were young? Then? I mean, there are horror films that I adore to this day and that are considered like... Alien, for example, we've talked about yeah. before, is one of my favourite films of all time ever. That really affected me when I, when I first saw it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is in my top ten favourite films of all time, really affected me. But a lot of that was Great built job. up around this, its reputation as well. And when I watched it, I wasn't so much titillated and scared. It was just outright, again, like, I'm watching a nightmare. Yeah. And I remember a university I watched called Tetsuo Iron Man. <sighs> Yes. Which is, I think it's only about 70 minutes long. Again, nightmare fuel about a guy who's uh, becoming a machine, like he's grafting rebar cables and metal onto himself to become this machine. But as I started watching that film, I started found myself edging further and further away from the screen. Till the last 10 minutes, I was literally outside the room, poking my head around the door yep. to finish it off. It was unbelievable. Believable, and I've never seen that film since. I, it's kind, it's kind of a one and done film. Yeah, like. yeah, it's it's an experience. It's it's an assault of sorts, which mm. is its own reward. But it is full on, and that played into my uh, discussed previously Benny Hill fear, where oh, yeah. the fast motion of Benny Hill I found very unsettling and horrific and mm. too much. And that is like Tetsu is that to a uh, times 10 times 100 it's just an absolute assault of imagery that shouldn't be moving like it is and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and that's also i've got a bit of a sort of stop motion unsettles me and mm -hmm. scares me quite a lot um even if it's in the life aquatic uh by steve zissou yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that i still find it a very unsettling thing to watch it's got that yes. feeling of just like Ugh. <laughs> the creeping dread. So I can completely understand that. And Tetsu, Tetsu, I absolutely remember. And again, Oof. in university, I think I was looking over someone's shoulder as they watched it as I was going through one of the libraries and I was like... Yeah, were, someone was watching Tetsu Iron Man in a public space, like <laughs> yeah, in the okay. library. Amazing. <laughs> I'm hoping they've been put on a few lists, you know? <laughs> they didn't mark themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CIA's on them, man. Yeah, so what about you? What kind of movies? Have you, have you got any examples of horror films outside of the genre that have affected you that you can't quite realise why or you weren't expecting them to? I, well, I was trying to think that because I was going to ask you exactly that. Is things that scare me or films that have scared me that aren't scary? Mm. Um, and 
I, like mainly it's uh, I can uh, it's not necessarily movies it's uh, CCTV videos or doorbell cam footage like that I find okay. that terrifying just to see CCTV really? my uh, um, a friend of mine had some personal security installed this sounds like I've got really rich cool friends that's not the case <laughs> and uh, you could go on their telly and just look at CCTV around like the four corners of the mm. house and I found that to be scarier than mo- most of the horror movies I've watched in the last five or ten years it is it because really you think un- something is going to happen yep Something's going to shamble into shot. I'm going to see a thing in the corner. I'm not going to be sure if I actually saw it or not, but maybe I did. Mm. And then it's going to be in another shot, but closer this time or something like that. (laughs) Uh, So that that, that freaks me out. Yeah, okay. Like old game (laughs) shows as well. Like I find them extremely unsettling from like the 80s or 90s. No, no, just like an old game show on TV, sort of like, no, say, uh, like Bullseye used to absolutely terrify me. Uh, It just feels like a procession of like now dead people. Oh, okay, okay, that's interesting. It's so, it's so strange to try and I sort of start thinking about what they're doing now, and then realise that they're all probably mm, dead, all dead. <laughs> from like the seventies or something like that, and and okay. it's some weird limbo or something. Like I did do a little bit of immersion therapy over lockdown and watched nearly all of every episode of Bullseye ever, which was <laughs> really? yeah, yeah, to the point like I could recognise <laughs> contestants' names. Like Crunch is still a favourite if there are any fans out there. Um, oh mate, and that, that's interesting. That, and they, and it still unsettles me a bit. And I've still got that feeling when I watch an episode where it feels a bit like it's a part in a David Lynch movie or something like that. Mm. I think that might play back to my points about. Um, Brazil in that when you watch these these things that everybody loves and you can't explain why it terrifies you and you can't understand why everybody else doesn't see what you see, it pushes you so far into like a sense of madness or unreason. Mm. Like this is happening and I can't explain it and you don't get it. So the whole world is mad. It's like a Casper's nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'm permanently living in the end of In the Mouth of Madness. (laughs) 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 Yeah, amazing. I remember um, when I saw American Psycho for the first time oh. in the cinema. I went on a date in the cinema. Oh, good first date and movie. Great, great first date movie, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember being scared, but in a, in a kind of new way. The moment when Patrick Bateman kills Paul Allen, Jared Leto's character, in the um, and he's listening to Huey Lewis in the news, <laughs> and there's all that he's wearing, puts the raincoat on, he's just giving this big monologue about Hugh Lewis and the years why he's preparing the fact that he's about to chop someone up the way the scene builds. So I remember in the cinema, the tension, and my heart was going like the clappers, but for some reason, normally when I watch a scary movie in the cinema, if it's too much for me, I tend to focus on one part of the screen, maybe just like look at the bottom left or something, just take my mind off it or whatever. <laughs> but for some reason, for the American Psychic, I was so keyed into that sensation that titillation that it's happening it's about to happen here it comes here it comes here it comes and you could feel the um the energy in the room it was just such a different horror experience and my reaction to it um to other films that i've seen so i didn't i didn't normally up until that point go to the cinema to watch horror films because okay. of my public reaction to them i didn't want to be scared around <laughs> people or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> i liked them at home in the nighttime you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well i think strong. i remember watching uh, the eye with you back in university um mm. and there was a point in that when i think someone just like came at the camera in a very terrifying way and both you and i hid under some blankets as a reaction so <laughs> i completely yeah. dig that you can't always take yes. your blankie into a cinema Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was, um, yeah, American Psycho, that was a different type of reaction to horror, that kind of fun 
instead of Primal Fear. Yeah, so when you're yeah, watching, I don't know, yeah, Evil yeah. Dead 2 for the first time. And it's scary, but it's fun. And you're going on this roller coaster or American Werewolf in London. Um, these kind of, this different type of titillation. I find that's quite interesting. If a horror film can balance those two energies at the same at the same time, it's usually quite successful for me. Like Shaun of the Dead would be a good example of how yeah. it goes about that. Okay, well, we should probably start thinking about pitching yes. some scary movies. I mean, look, totally in line with Halloween, man, Graham. I have bought you a big old bag of bones <laughs> with very little flesh on them, man. <laughs> okay, let's see if you, you can hear some Jack Skellington rattling in my sack, man. <laughs> okay, well, let's do it. All right, let's go, man. Okay, so we're going to pitch a couple of movies that we gave each other offline. Yeah, we're sneaky, sneaky so and so's, aren't we? I don't remember the race that we chose these from. That's fine. I'll have a look. So I, I would love to say that uh, we communicated with uh, some kind of otherworldly horse race that was happening and we picked our horses from there, but we didn't. Uh, we went to... I would uh, like to think that they came to us in a dream. Yes, yeah, I just awoke. a nightmare. And I'd written it in my dream diary in sort of uh, <laughs> in very scrawled, uh, fearsome-looking writing, man. Uh, in blood, in fact. Uh, but instead, we didn't get it. We weren't delivered by any, uh, by any monsters or anything like that. Instead, we went to the... Uh, six o'clock at Wolverhampton on uh, Saturday the 7th of October and we picked a couple of horses. I believe that I picked you uh, my Clementine. You did indeed, I my Clementine. Did. And what did you give me in return, Graham? Man? I'll tell you. <laughs> it's like, fucked if I know, mate. <laughs> what, what do you want? What do you want, man? Pearl? Uh, you gave me in return, man, a Lincoln's Inn. Lincoln's Inn? Yes. Not uh, So it's like uh, an, an inn as in a pub belonging to Lincoln, not like, hey, Lincoln's oh, Inn. Oh, nice. Or is Lincoln Inn? Lincoln's um, Inn. Yes, oh, man. Yeah. Play around with that. All right. All right so, Lincoln's Inn and my Clementine. Who's going first? I mean, I can crack out my bones first if you would like, man, and we can assemble it into a rough-shored uh, skeletal form. All right, Lincoln's in. Yeah, groovy, what have you man. Got? Well, first off, I'm just going to hit you with a very quick, like, horror triple bill to go and watch, man, to prep you for, like, oh, okay. Lincoln's in. Nice. Um, I'm going to give you Creepshow, Cat's Eye, mm -hmm. and Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Uh, nice. And that's going to clue you into the fact that we are dealing with a horror anthology here, people. Yes. Yes, of course we are. So we begin padding through like the grounds of an old pub out in the middle of nowhere, uh, maybe the Forest of Dean, somewhere like that, somewhere really nice okay. and woody. So like, UK. Yeah, 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 definitely, man. We're going to pan through and we'll have like George Lincoln will be holding court at the bar of this pub. He's the owner uh, in front of like the seven or so locals uh, who've come to like his great every year Halloween bonanza that he throws. So he's just warming up a spooky story for everyone. And he's underlit and he's all very dramatic. And like, he's really, really selling it, man. They've sat there probably on and off for the last 10 to 15 to 20 years to 30, maybe listening to the same old flipping stories every time Halloween comes around. There is something in the way he tells it that keeps them coming back, man, that feels like there's a certain truth. Mm. So we meet him like mid-flow and he's leant up against this 
massive gnarled uh, beam in the centre of the pub. And it looks older than time itself, man. It looks older than just like any beam in a pub, man. This, this ain't Victorian, this ain't anything. This is almost pre-time. Um, there's like deep scratches and sort of like maybe, I don't know, <laughs> something runic. There's stuff all yeah, over it, okay. man. Uh, it, this. Like dug centuries ago, man. And like hewn all over this great, great supporting strut in the middle of Lincoln's Inn. Mm. So he starts telling this story, and he's, he really builds it up. He's giving it some beautiful, beautiful showmanship, man. And he's, he's saying how he can trace the lines of most beams in this pub back to 300 years ago when his family first encountered it, and he can trace the line of this particular beam back even further. Mm. And this is where we go straight back into it sort of looks a bit like the sort of like the helicopter shot or whatever that we had to introduce us to Lincoln's Inn and its surrounding areas, but there's no inn. Mm -hmm. We see a band of knights coming up mm -hmm. into their usual business. They're on a hunting party. They've also sort of captured someone. They've got someone in there uh, uh, that they've ca captured. They've got a prisoner. That's that's what that's what the that's people what that the you capture is, yeah. are called. Yes, they have one of those, man, uh, in tow. And they're not a good bunch of knights. That's all I know. And they are going to enter the forest with all of the arrogance of man. These knights, they're going to come up against a uh, witch in the forest. Um, who is the commander of the forest, the keeper of the forest. Nice. And this witch lives in a very rough hewn, it almost looks like a big mound of moss, it's part of the forest. And at the centre of this great mossy, uh, mossy creation is of course the beam we saw at the start. So this witch um, is going to cross paths with the knights. Um, mm -hmm. The beam that she has, um, and we will cut into sort of, we'll dip into voiceover from our great narrator who is leading us through these tales of uh, horror and mystery. And the uh, the beam that she has can see the darkness in men's souls. And it's kind okay. of a sort of divining rod of sorts. And we will send sort of like the lead knight will come up to visit the witch and basically just like, get the hell out of here, this is the king's land, you know, who this belongs to, what the hell are you doing here with these potions and blah, blah, blah. Witchcraft, all they brought is... <laughs> have you got a licence for what you're doing there, man? <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Have you got a C54.1 uh, to sell potions and ungents? Uh, I don't believe you have. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, and he will lay like, there won't be any niceties it'll be like yeah. get the hell off of the king's land man and so what i want is a witch versus knights for the first segment and each time a man uh, enters her little wonderful little mossy hut um, we'll see the beam will glow a sort of like sort of deep red and we'll see certain mm. runes start to pop up on it and uh, it'll sort of thrum and throb and she'll clock that immediately uh, and then things will escalate they will attempt to forcibly, obviously, remove her from these lands. And that is when I want the witch to start turning the forest against this band of knights. And we're going to have, like, nice. knights out in the forest getting hammered by sort of very natural horror. So I want... Okay, like a bog or something like that, and roots trembling. Bog is a great shout. Bog's an absolutely terrifying quicksand style. So mm -hmm. I want, like, especially when you're in armour, that would be amazing. Yeah, or you want, like, roots crushing... The armor. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the straps on the greaves and the braces. And it's just crushing, so you get the helmet just getting crushed until the gore oozes out of the yeah. ice lips oh. and stuff like that. Yeah. Right, you know the you know the pointy, pointy suits of armor mm. helmets with all of the holes in them? Like just <laughs> <laughs> like a mince. <laughs> yeah, no, like one of those Play-Doh things you had as a kid where you pull the lever and it... <laughs> what happens... What, what about, what, what's the deal with the prisoner? Well, so... No, 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 you're not. That's a perfect 
absolutely perfect question to ask when I introduced him and then just left him out. I was like, he's just going to lie there for the whole film on Just face. watching all yeah. this unfurled around him. Oh, oh shit. Just like every now and again, he'll pick a leaf up and just put it on his skin to try and disguise himself. <laughs> really slowly, man. <laughs> So an intense stare off with a squirrel or something. <laughs> Just do not move. It's visions based on movement. Well, so this is the dude. So I want the um, I want this this guy, um, uh, the prisoner. I want to obviously be the complete polar opposite to the uh, to the knights that have brought him. Yeah. He was someone who was also living off the land, not in the primal has been here since the land was created kind of a way that the witch is but he is he was he was living on his own he wasn't uh paying money or taxes or anything like that to anyone man he was basically what we would call an off-gridder i guess or whatever and, yeah. and just living from the land using its natural remedies understanding the land and how to work with the land uh, and he was picked up as an outcast uh, by these knights as they were cutting their swathes of brutality and ignorance throughout the uh, forest and so i want him um to after much much carnage he has witnessed much carnage he's seen um, men turn into trees as as the roots come up from the ground and slowly encapsulate them and so yes. all that's left is a face you know when you see like faces in knots in trees all, yeah, yeah. all that's left is that sort of just slightly obscured version of what they yeah. used to be he's seen the men crushed by the roots maybe as the man is consumed by the bog he also turns to bog and just flows out a bit like the uh, senator yeah, at the end of x-men or swamp thing or something like that that. We want one who perhaps takes even greater pleasure than the others in hunting to be horribly mauled by some stags or something like that. Yes. Oh, oh, dude. I, I can see the outline of the two stags stabbing into him and then lifting their heads and pulling up and almost halving him maybe. Or we yes. just see like yeah, the yeah, entrails yeah. strung between the two in a beautiful stark outline. Mm. So, um, yeah, he, he will, our prisoner will have witnessed all of these things. And... Mm rightly assumes i guess that he's going to be next as one by one the people are picked off and he's mm. going to be begging them to release him and then as the witch reveals herself to him whereas all of the other men from the knight's point of view when they've been picked off one by one mm -hmm. um she's been a crone the typical what one would expect from a witch but when she reveals herself to um to our prisoner he sees what she actually is and that is just a normal, <laughs> a normal woman. Normal person. Yeah, right, a normal okay. woman in the middle of the forest, and uh, they two then, those two then, sort of uh, become simpatico, and that is where they decide to stake their claim and set their uh, set their stool uh, at the table underneath the uh, great mossy house where the witch lives, mm. and that's going to be how the inn was first established because we are now looking yes. at his great 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 right. grandfather who hooked up with the witch in the most wonderful mutual way and uh, lived happily ever after um, just living off of the land there until eventually mankind encroached on it and that's when the inn was built. Right. So that's our first story. Nice. That's, Knights that's versus witch. Is go yeah. all over the place, bit dog soldiersy, lots of men running around in forests, that kind of a deal, uh, getting evil deaded by all of the shrubbery. <laughs> no, shrubbery isn't shrubbery. scary. <laughs> no, shrubbery is not. <laughs> I demand a shrubbery. Shrubbery? <laughs> That's not at all scary. Can we have one where one of the knights is really good at um, butchering the deer or cooking and preparing the stew, and he's like the third or fourth <laughs> to go in to chat to her. He, do he doesn't come out or yep. something like that. Yep. We, don't, we forget about him, and um, everyone else has been horribly killed, and the, the guy goes in, or we find a survivor goes into the the earth mound to try and kill the witch or whoever or, or 
escape from whatever's happening and turns and he sees that he is in a pot. So he's, <laughs> so he's cooked himself, like he's climbed in. He's climbed into her stew and is gradually boiling himself alive. Yes! She's like totally like got inside just his got mind. Him, man. Yeah, he yeah. becomes his own recipe and he's just sat there. Yeah, yeah. and like sweat pouring off of him. Then and we the see his like, flesh starting like, to blister and peel back. Yeah. And as it may be Maybe like the that. guy tries to pull him out and he's just like... Oh, he just slouches off. Like in We Were Soldiers. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, dude. He's cooked himself. (laughs) Dude, he's his own recipe is the best thing I'm going to hear tonight. I'm just putting that out there, man. That was, oh, yes. Oh, yes. So we'll have that. And there we go. That's the first tale, man. Loving it. I love Groovings in so far. So we cut back uh, to the pub. Uh, He's holding court again. We start to play up how... Uh, sad and melancholy. Uh, this the uh, Mr. Lincoln feels in okay the fact that he hasn't got his own stories to tell. We're going to start building that up as he's talking of all of his um, his ancestors, great historic deeds, and the amazing things yeah, yeah, that they sure. have been up to. As I said at the start, he really believes this man. It's not. It doesn't look like yeah. a performance, especially now we come back and we see what is taken out of him telling that story. He's pulling another pint, and he's uh, there's no greater quarry, no keener foe than the wolf. Now, what was a merchant shack and a happy home, it built and grew and formally became the Lincoln's Inn. And in it lived Sally Lincoln, his great, 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 great grandmother. So we cut to Sally Lincoln, who's now in a very established, uh, almost familiar looking inn that we've seen uh, from from our opening. Mm -hmm. And clearly kick out time. And this is, let's say, around the region of 17, 1800, somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. just about to lock the front door of the inn uh, when a wounded man crashes through the door begging for help. Please, miss, please, miss, please. You must understand. I need your help. I need, he's you, beside himself, clearly bloodied from a nasty wound in his side as well. Mm. And he won't quite say what's up. He says a horse... I got thrown off my horse uh, and he says I got attacked by robbers Uh, he's got loads of stories he's not quite with himself he doesn't quite know what's happening on he's that terrified Um, (laughs) (laughs) what am I doing here (laughs) Um, uh, I was just on the moors <laughs> yeah. Uh God, God, my nails are getting longer. No, he's he's <laughs> Sally is is a very kindly sort because, uh, like, of course, she'll give help to those that need need it, and he clearly does. Man, um, he starts to bring himself together a lot more. Um, starts to calm down. Starts to thank her so profusely and say, "I'm so sorry. I've nothing on my person. I've no idea where my." Uh, Bodkin. I don't know what you kept money in back in the day, man. <laughs> where my purse. purse? There we go. Mm. Right there. Uh, I've no idea where my purse is. I've lost everything. Maybe when they robbed me or my horse threw me or whatever the hell goes on, man. Mm. And there's a really nice bonding. We'll play the bonding. We'll play a really nice... Uh, and it's not a meat cute because it ain't cute, but the two <laughs> find some understanding in each other. And he sings this really beautiful song, man. And we have this lovely moment of complete peace where we're just sort of panning round the two of them sat there with him singing this absolutely gorgeous sort of uh, old old folk standard um and just as it's coming to a close we hear a massive uh, clattering of hooves and shouts and noises from outside and he immediately bang there's back to the raw terror that we saw the minute he came in the door man and he's like, right, you, you, you must hide me. You must hide me, please, miss, please. <laughs> so pulls back the uh, the cellar 
um, says, look, you find your, find yourself whatever uh, comfort and hide yourself down there if you can. And she slams the door shut. Maybe maybe she's got a priest's hole. Uh, right. How big are they? Are they the tiny little... Yeah, they're inside like fireplaces. Like in a fireplace. Yeah, yes. that kind of thing, yeah. Brilliant. Yep. Okay, yes, absolutely. She does that. He's down there. He's squared away and mm-hmm. she bolt, doors are bolted, blinds are shut, candles are blown out. And she looks out. And we see sort of dressed almost in Witchfinder General kind of yes. outfits, man. I was hoping it's going to be a Witchfinder General type <laughs> Big dude. Big buckles, like loads of buckles everywhere, yeah. man. Um, and so we see the leader <laughs> yeah. of this group, uh, like McCabe or something like that, man. Yeah. Uh, and we see him and his posse of men and they've got their torchlights and they're clattering with these their, their great swords and muskets. And So as he's bellowing his demands for whoever is inside this inn, show yourselves. By the power of God. Yes, 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 yeah. And as he's saying, by the power of God, we see that giant crucifix brought up uh, behind him, winched up by his men. Yes. Lit by flame, man. And she's like, nah. <laughs> she's much more dramatic. <laughs> like, nah, I'm all nah, right. I don't think so. <laughs> nah. Sign of the door says closed. <laughs> yeah, sorry, dudes. Uh, sorry. So she's like, absolutely no, no, there's no way you're coming. I haven't seen any young man. And she's shouting all of this from around side of the curtain. But I never so. mentioned a young yeah. man. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Quick, young man, you must run. <laughs> ah, <laughs> have I not got you now? <laughs> you do indeed have me, sir, but still you cannot come in this in. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we have a very, very quick because he ain't messing around, man. He's like he is, mm. he is, he's, he's God's, God's own flipping, God's own advocate, man. So he's like, yeah. right, then we'll come in by whatever means we have to, and then we cut to uh, by God, we shall huff and we shall puff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I kind of like that though, like little piglet. Oh, little piglet. And then bang, his soldiers are at the door. Little piglet, shall we huff? Oh, little piglet, shall we puff? Bang, on the door. I mean, it is Sean Bean, right? No, it's it's Ralph Innocent. (gasps) Yes, it is. Ralph Innocent, little piglet. Little pig. I can't get that deep, that beautiful resonant voice, man. Little piglet. Shall we blow the door in? Boof. So we get yes. a little bit of now, just like the sort of, uh, I'm thinking, uh, Revenge, really good horror movie from maybe five years ago. Um, guess what it's about. But it had a really good um, home invasion, uh, okay. someone nice. scrabbling against, uh, say, five or six attackers and doing it completely bloodily and violently and sloppily, but in a really satisfying way. It's a really good like uh, type Excellent. for this. So we get a bit of that. We'll dispatch a couple of the posse that way, but then they overpower. Uh, in walks Mr. Spool, um, and mm-hmm. he demands to know. He knows now, like, he's in here. So tell us where he is. Mm. Like, Missy, you will be saving yourself much pain if you open that mouth and the next thing that comes out is his location, that kind of stuff, man. Yeah. And he pulls out this jo- this long, wicked-looking silver dagger, and he holds it about... <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> and and he's like he says something like horrifically horrible, like I am very skilled at making sweet little doves call out for me. Will you call out for me, little dove? And he's getting the knife closer and closer, and just as he does, we hear a scream. We hear something, a commotion from down in the uh, in the priest hole. 
Yes. What was that noise? He sends one of his men immediately to get it, and he's waiting <laughs> at the top. He's not. He ain't going. <laughs> he might have gone to his side, but he's like, no, no. <laughs> um, Bill, can you have a butcher's, mate? For that, can he be like, I am the most fearless, <laughs> respected feared yes. of all the witch hunters. Here's the noise. You go investigate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Baxter, get your send down there, you useless cur. <laughs> but, sir, I thought it was your, it was your time. Went down last there, time. I command. <laughs> but, sir, Teddington's go. Yeah, I had, to, I, had to, I had to do the witch last week. I did last time. I went inside that tree that was small from the outside, but massive in. <laughs> I've got arm layers, hell to pay. <laughs> I scuffed my trousers, got grass on my knees. <laughs> it's still coming out. But by this time, the werewolves come out and eat everyone else. Apart. Yeah. Oh, no, don't spoil the werewolf, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We'd never see it coming. No, there hasn't been any silver or howling or injured men coming in from the moors into a pub. And so, right, they pull back the, uh, they pull back the hearth. Uh, great mm. grating scrape, but even over the amount of noise this thing's making as they're tugging it free, you can hear the snufflings and uh, like true, true anguish is occurring down there, man. Mm. And there's whimpering, there's tears, there's sort of like we can just about hear words. And right down there you go. They light a lantern and they start mm. to go down the steps, peering. You got Baxter up first, and he's yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you can hear the clanking. Poor he's still I got don't the grass. I don't rightly know. <laughs> <laughs> and all the gods, great earth, why me? <laughs> and he's clanking and... It's because I burnt the broth at lunch, isn't it? <laughs> You've always had it in for me. <laughs> it's not bloody fair, I just thought, because we were cousins, you might call me some slack, but that's not the point, is it? I said, he starts to go down, you got the trembling clanking of the old oil lamp. Like, oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> Cut to the outside, you can still hear it's like wee wines. And you just see like the lamp light just dim as he goes deeper and deeper. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody knew it! Got to get blood out now as well as the grass. Hey, <laughs> bloody elder bear. Oh, my arm. Oh, no bother, I'm dead. <laughs> They're just slightly trying to close the priest out to shut it. Do my blood head in. <laughs> So, like, poor little Baxter, he goes on his journey. He's got two of the guys yes. with him. And uh, planking lamplight, and we get to see sort of the passage revealed by the flickering light, so it's all a little bit like comes in fits and starts. Mm. And we open out into a little bit of a, uh, opener, a more open room. I was going to say auditorium, that's not quite right. The, the poor guy has got his back to us, and he's getting yeah. slowly more and more revealed by the lamplight. And then we start to witness the American werewolf in London yes. style transformation. I was going to say, if you didn't show the We've transformation, got to have that, and man, it's going to be so. It's going to start by lamplight, and then Baxter will get far too terrified. He's, he's, he reaches for a crucifix, drops the lamp, the lamp explodes in flames, and so we get. Poor Baxter, Frank Spencer, bloody my favourite lamp. I'm all thumbs today. I bloody do. I got out on the wrong side of bed. Now look at me, a complete calamity. Oh, <laughs> okay. Father said nothing good will ever come for me. <laughs> you were bloody, bloody right. right. He was. He was bloody right. Bloody weird. <laughs> yeah, I want him to do like a juggle with the lamp and some of the oil spills on him, catches him on fire. <laughs> so he drops anyway, it and we get to see yes. the transformation 
thanks to the fire that's sort of like yeah. raging down in the uh, in the basement. And like great shadows as well as the transformation happens. Exactly, see, like, flickering man. One. And I think the last shadow I would like is the howl because we obviously when mm. the transformation is mm -hmm. happy, werewolves are always so chuffed, man, that they've like managed to come out of their human form. They're yes. always like, oh. Yeah. Howls, turns around, and the howl is so powerful, blows out the lamp. Oh, scene. And so, like, of course, we got, uh, you know, whatever his name was up top, man, and he's Spool. like, by God's name, what is this trickery? <laughs> he's you not that. bastard. Yeah, you bastard, you <laughs> bastard. absolute total rag. <laughs> and then we get the guttural growl and paddy yeah. as our wolf starts to emerge, and it gets closer and closer. Some scraping on that. Oh. The Witchfinder General will start to proselytize, man, and he will think that mm. the power of Christ is within him and that he can yes. bat any of this away as his men are trembling Holy behind water him. water starts coming yep. out. And, yep. Yeah, and then really the only thing he needs is the goddamn silver dagger, man. But he's kind mm. of forgetting this. He is so wrapped up in his own self-belief mm -hmm. that he can, he can vanquish this beast himself, man. He's taken will-o'-the-wisps and banshees and all sorts previously. He can certainly take a, a dog... A dog man. Yeah. Uh, that's nothing for this dude, man. So we're going to get this absolute bellowing, bellowing sermon that's happening as the head rolls out and like his men are starting to get further and further back away from him. Looking up on the wall, it's almost like in the kind of um, Francis Ford Coppola's um, Dracula, where the shadow oh. has its own kind of life. Yes. So the shadow of the wolf kind of slinks forwards yeah before yeah, it even appears yes even the, the woman sally's backing away she's terrified doesn't know what's going on so yeah then complete carnage man we got muskets one shot muskets obviously because we're back in the day going off uh, and then being batted out of hands oh. along with the hand itself I want, um i want a shot of someone coming up to spall like one of his men like his hands on his shoulders to try and like oh, save me. We get a POV shot of Spall looking at the scared man, and the scared man just gets ripped in half to reveal oh, the werewolf behind him. Yes, I love people getting ripped in half. Yes, 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 yes. Just definitely. right in front of him. Yeah, and all of this practical, like and sort of yeah, like just claws come out through the mouth, whole head. Oh yes. Back oh of the yes. Head. Oh yes. Wolf is there. And and yeah. Amazing. So actually, that might be. We're going to roll tiny little bit back. There is one guy who comes out of the priest hole alive. Yes. And he yes, is yes, the yes. guy who gets ripped in half to reveal the wolf, maybe. Yeah. Um, right. So then musket, musket, sword, uh, fire, smoke, confusion. Sally is... Small tavern kind of desperado. Yeah, yeah tables get tables exactly going over. that, man. It's yeah, not man. necessarily slapstick moments, but like someone goes to swing with a sword, but the sword gets stuck in the beam. Oh, yes. And so and yeah, like yeah, the confinement, yeah. they're not just not used to fighting in such a small... Yeah, yeah, and they thought it'd be easy-peasy, man. Like, all we've got to do yeah. is get the tavern owner out and take the dude. Simple, yeah. and we'll run him through. Like, we already nearly finished him. Maybe a few of them accidentally kill each other by mistake. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Have someone run chaos. someone through accidentally through the smoke because they just see a shape coming at them, all of that. Yeah. And Sally is, like... <laughs> like absolutely ducked under about all of the tables you can find, man. And yeah. it's in some of this chaos, um, he is still proselytizing the Witchfinder General. He is still giving it some welly, man. And yes. the wolf comes to him, and it's just him yes. and the wolf. And it bats him away with a backhand. He lands sort of very close to Sally, and the silver dagger spins and 
spins around very close to her, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then he's back up and he's he's proselytizing, proselytizing, proselytizing. And then the wolf is just going to lean forward and put his jaws around his head and yes. gone. Oh, and then gone. Fountains of fountains blood, of blood yes. coming out the top of the neck, which find a general slumps. Sally is there now, covered in blood, looking directly at the wolf man. And the wolf is coming. There's no man. This is the. It's pure animal. It wants Can't nothing. Can't reach it. Yeah. Or can you? Because Ooh. Sally reaches down and starts to sing the song that he yes. sang her when okay. he first came in. He's, she's a whisperer. And it's just very like. <laughs> like, like <laughs> <laughs> Since my baby, since my baby. Oh, well, same key, obviously. <laughs> and so she sings it, sings it, lulls, lulls, just, it just gets through just enough. Mm. For her you to can reach see, like, out, the eyes. and it yeah, it goes from like the cat, like the the the, the, yeah. the wolf and I switch it just for a glimmer to mm. those sweet eyes of the young man who came in earlier. A little whimper from the wolf, and then like a, suppli a supplicating kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, almost, almost, mm. but it kind of knows it's being tricked, man. It knows that yeah, the man inside it's being talked to. It done like that, and yeah. as she's singing, she's reaching back, mm. reaching back for anything, finds the dagger, and as it. <laughs> She plunges it straight into its heart, and uh, I'm so sorry. I know, and he wow, did, she was. It was her or the Louisa. wolf, man. Uh, mm. And then, as we should always see in these uh, werewolf movies, when a wolf is slain, it turns back to the man yes. or the person it was, mm -hmm. obviously. And so she manages to guide him, much as she's shown the tenderness to him as he came in for uh, sucker and for um, uh, for healing. She shows him that exact same kindness as he leaves this world in her arms. Nice. And then what we... about all the what about all the other dead people who are been bitten by werewolves? Won't they then become werewolves? She then, <laughs> as she, <laughs> she then goes around and stabs every stabs one of them. <laughs> or maybe they're just a, they're just obliterated. There's no oh way yeah, they're, they're back, properly right? like more mauled than more mauled than man kind of a thing. They are absolutely yeah. in bits. Maybe there is one who knows that he's still alive at the end, and he's been before he kills himself. Yeah, like he's been he's been ripped up. He knows he's going to turn shoots himself. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Last musket left, man. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's no coming back from what this wolf has unleashed on them. Nice. And then we fade back, and obviously in the bar, mounted on the back is the silver dagger tucked away with all the other trinkets, man. And we pan yes. back down. So that's our that's chapter two done, man. We go back and we introduce the third tale, man. Um, yeah. So uh, he goes to the back of the bar and he gets out a little, reaches up high into the dusty boo shells and he pulls out a little cufflink box mm. and he walks forward and he pulls it open and in there instead of cufflinks are two elongated canine teeth <laughs> and he okay. throws them down on the bar. Instead of cufflinks, two eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Goggly eyes. And he casts them into the ocean. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no, Two no! It's just, it's just like a jack in the box comes out. He goes, yeah. <laughs> "Got ya!" Uh, That's what the Joker's laugh from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
he he casts like the teeth down onto the uh, onto the bar like sort of a couple of dice mm. and they rattle and roll and bounce along and then just sit there in front of the nice. uh, captivated uh, captivated now audience and one of them leans over and goes oh it's about time he got to the vampire yeah and the minute he does that he spins around and he he makes a sign of the evil eye with his fingers spits through it at them and hush your mouth. I gave you a witch, I gave you the wolf, and a vampire is what you clamour for. Mm. A tale of the lowest, <laughs> bottom-feeding, parasitical. There is no honour, no heart, and no quarry in a vampire. I would do better to tell you a tale of the plague rats that ran amok around and about the pantry here back in 1666. Vampires. He's disgusted. Disgusted that he has to tell Tell you step. what, though, I'm all on board for vampires. Oh, I'll... 100% mate. Like, we're all waiting for the toothy ones, man. And he says, but I swore an oath to my blood, to my foremothers and my forefathers, that I carry the tale of this in. It's a lot of parents. And those toothed vermin are a part of it. That much is true. And this one's closer to home. And he says, so forgive my tears should they fall. My grandfather, God rest his soul, met his end 64 years to this day. And then we cut down to the inn and we're sort of uh, looking, I guess, to the uh, like late 60s or somewhere like that, maybe. I reckon, okay. give or take, man. And his grandfather is just funneling out the last of the Halloween sort of big bop and social that they were <laughs> holding at the, the, uh, the Lincoln's Inn. So we see the last of these guys like funneling out, funneling out, man. And yeah. then like this big smoking, stinking bus rolls into the car park, backfiring wildly. And this is going to be, we're going to see the granddad now, and we're going to get a couple of like uh, vampires that visit his, uh, visit the inn and demand, uh, well, service and blood, man. That's all vampires ever want. Mm. And they have to be invited in, though. Exactly, which he will do, because the part of the inn is there mm. to bring people in, help them out, give them good food. And... Nice. Good vibes, good food. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Live, laugh, blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're going to see, like, um, a kind of uh, slimy-looking counterculture sort of vampire is going to slink his way in under the guise of, like, we're a band on the road, man. And... Um, and we need a we need a place to fix up the van. We're going to be out here. You don't have to give us any rooms. You don't have to give us a pint if you don't want to, man. But we need somewhere to hold up, kind of a thing. And he's going to be suspicious because the grandfather carries these stories as well, man. Yeah. And we're going to see um, as the 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 head, sort of like the master, I guess, to use vampire terminology, the master vampire, the master. Yeah. Uh, is it is that's a widely it's recognized the, the uh, <laughs> like career in vampiring? Vampiring yeah. is getting to master level. So. He's going to come in and we're just going to see the faintest glow. And this is the last time that the uh, the beam in the pub glowed. It was like when this dude walked past him to see the faintest red glow that the grandfather sort of clocks. And he's immediately, his back is up and he's checking to see the silver daggers behind the uh, bar. And he knows that something's mm. going to kick off, man. And I just want a uh, like from dusk till dawny kind of uh, vampire versus barman fight that we're going to be telling this tale and we're going to be seeing mm -hmm. the events of the grandfather and what happened to him. But as we're doing that, we're going to cut back to him telling the tale and we're going to cut back to the sound of a van approaching outside as he is telling the story. Right. Some of the gotcha. patrons are going to be like, oh, he's gone overboard this year, man. He's got all 4D on us, for Christ's sake. 
And that's going to be, we're going to keep seeding this through as he's telling the story of his grandfather who had to come uh, come through with no, no Christian faith to speak of uh, and only his wits about him uh, to try and get out of this situation, which he never does because we know 64 years ago to this day he died, man. So we're going to have like a real Robert Rodriguez-y uh, fight, a uh, bar fight, man, where like it's vampire versus him. Uh, we see him and the master uh, coming off against each other. He'll... First, he's going to, uh, he'll best the master enough to like slam his head against the beam. <laughs> and we'll see the master's front teeth like stick in almost like nails. Yes. Okay, and then he's yeah. going to like boot the side of his head. And we're just going to see those two teeth yeah, left yeah, yeah. in the beam as evidence kind of a thing. Amazing. And then while well, the master's like, like he's gouting blood and absolutely horrified a mere mortal could do this to him. We're going to see like him like get the most potent boozy can off the back shelf, chuck it at the master, set him on fire. And this is where the <laughs> master is going to escape doing a fire run because we like to get that yes. in every episode um, and um but we're also going to see the fact that before he does he is not going to leave without slicing the throat of the grandfather and letting him bleed out at the bar and that's his last yeah. action he can do and then he flies off into the night kind of a thing and that's him gone man and then we'll cut back to the story being wrapped up and him being very emotional because it's about his grandfather mm. um and that's when the doors to the uh to the uh to the inn are going to open and in is mm. going to walk the master from his grandfather's tail right, and he's going to okay. say he'll walk to the bar and he'll like it's the time for my teeth <laughs> Exactly, mate. Exactly <laughs> that, man. Like, he'll come to the bar and he'll be like, I do believe you have my teeth. And that is when <laughs> we'll kick off. Um, and, and, like, and that is when, like, everyone is going to realise all of these stories are true. Like George, the beam glows. Yeah, the beam is kicking off. George Lincoln suddenly, like, instead of being terrified, is like, oh, at last I've got, like, my chance to add to the I've myth, been waiting man. for this. This is absolutely sick, man. And I've got, He's got like, a trunk like, full of weapons waiting for this very moment. He is totally prepped. It's all true, man. And he's going to, like, ash the hell out of this situation. Uh, ash an evil dead out of the hell out of this situation. And he's going to bring the pain to these vampires, man. But while this is happening, our poor uh, disbelieving patrons are going to be absolutely you know destroyed in a very from dust till dawn mm -hmm. kind of way man you know limbs being torn off we'll have a little like chase around the inn itself in a dog soldiers finale kind of way where people mm -hmm. are kicking through plasterboard to uh, just escape the things that are chasing yes. him it's completely and utterly frantic man um and then what uh, at some point, and this is where it's getting slightly loosey-goosey, as you can tell, man. <laughs> oh, beep, beep. And at some point, I want the um, the beam to be shattered. Like, I want okay. the Master Vampire to, like, take someone and just throw them into it so hard. Like, after all of the years, it just splinters and shatters, <clears> man. And then this, uh, the splintered beam is going to be the way that... Um, the stake. Exactly that, man. This is yes. how he's going to start to dispatch some of the vampires. And he'll, like, rip a chunk off of it, almost like a Louisville slugger. Yeah. And he's going to have, like, this uh, this totem, which he is going to start to use. So, like, And he's beating the vampires with it, and, like, runes are being seared onto their skin as he's, as he's smacking yes. them about. And what I want is for the carnage within the inn to be so great and the fact that the support beam for the inn has been snapped in twain, man. We're going to have... A collapse, a great collapse, a bit like at the end of Dog Soldiers when the entire place is absolutely leveled to the ground. Yeah. Like it's time for Mr. Lincoln to move on to better things, man. So he is going to come out of the carnage. He's going to have the silver dagger. Um, yep. He's going to have. Helmet. 
The Mincemeat yeah, Helmet. Yeah, yeah Mincemeat Helmet. Just for, like, memories. It's not practical, yeah. but it means a lot, man. Um, and he's going to have a, um, a a great chunk of the beam. Mm. And I kind of want him to become, like, a wandering dispeller of all yes. things evil. And he has Like his... a witch speller. Exactly. And he's got his dagger. He's got his um, splint great lump of splintered beam which he's going to whittle down into like genuinely like a bat form but the pommel is a stake so it will take out anything oh, it needs to man yeah. and we're gonna he'll vanquish the vampire he'll like we'll see um he'll take the skull the the skull with those uh those missing canines that'll be another trophy <laughs> that he takes and like waxing the the boot of his volvo estate or whatever man alongside <laughs> his great glowing runic club and we're gonna leave he's gonna leave the scene of that uh destroyed lincoln's smoldering lincoln's in with the dead vampires and i'm so sorry all the dead patrons but i needed more gore in this yeah. and we he's just gonna drive off into the night set Ba-na-na-na-na-na. The other day I was born, I just look him straight in the eye and I say, have you paid your dues? I say, you're goddamn right, I have. The check is in the mail. With the vampire thing, with the granddad, because I thought you were going to go a different way with that, that the granddad became the vampire. And then came back. And the... Yeah, all the or George's whole thing was to get people to feed the granddad. So, oh my George, God, uh, man. George at the end is like he locks the doors. And now that you all are, you all are in, and then the the granddad or whomever comes up to eat everybody. Oh my God, I uh, like it. Yeah, my B movie ending would have been. Like he's the George is actually a vampire and he's brought everyone there. And then, well, it's, it was my like I wanted to have a dude who we followed who like got to be a badass. I know Neil Marshall wanted to do at the end of Dog Soldiers. He wanted the dude who survived to go on <laughs> to have all of these other supernatural adventures. And I was like, even though I never got to see any of that, I saw it in my head and I like it when films yeah. just give you that little taster and then end on like <laughs> you said, bow down, bow down. <laughs> that was your preferred. Of the three or four endings for Madame Fenella, I think your preferred one was Sister Venice and going off to be like a, a Cenobite hunting Ronin. Yep. These, it's I just, mean, it's, I love it's, it. It's compelling, isn't it, for a B-movie ending to just go off and... I mean, you've opened my imagination. You haven't put a close on it, man. That's yeah. beautiful. And there we go. That oh, is the man. Lincoln's Inn, a horror I anthology. I loved it. I loved it. So for... George Lincoln, I started off immediately with Brian Cox, but knowing that he's going to be some vampire hunting psychoassic readjust. Midway through, I changed him to Nick Frost. I was just thinking of like <laughs> nice, nice dudes who could spin a yarn in a pub. You know? <laughs> I like Nick Frost, man. He can pack a punch as well, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I could imagine him as a landlord. I had. Um, um, I, I thought it, it was. It, I also sort of like aged him up because I was thinking Ian McShane because he's okay. got that. Beautiful rolling, beautiful that yeah. tenor, that delivery, that like that. I can imagine him wielding a massive club, kind of a thing. Mm. But then the more like that he got involved, the more I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Maybe James Purefoy was what I was thinking. Going back yes, to like the Solomon nice Kane, he was amazing in yeah, that. That was yeah, a real great yeah, yeah. slice of horror, man. And he's got that like nice. He's got a real sweet. He's he's very handsome, but he's got a sweetness to his face and like a bit of mm-hmm. West Country that just made. He's, he's very likable as well as being very handsome. And I can believe him being in okay. a normal role like. Fisherman's Friends as much as I can in Solomon Kane kind of a thing. Yeah. Perfect's a good choice. For the werewolf dude, um, <laughs> I had I had Billy Boyd, who was one of the hobbits oh. in Lord of the Rings, because he could sing and he's quite sweet. Yes. But then I also had Johnny Flynn, who has also got a beautiful singing voice. Oh. And he could probably write a really beautiful folk song to go with it as well. 
I'm having it. You could do the whole soundtrack. We'll have Johnny Finn oh, can do the whole soundtrack. Definitely. Yeah, dude, that's a great show. I had uh, Stephen Graham, I prefer, because he's a bit wolfy. Johnny Flynn, <laughs> he's definitely Johnny. In a good way, Stephen, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> he's a bit wolfy, he is. Uh, you wouldn't touch him as far as I could throw him. Um, yeah, dude, Johnny Flynn, 100%. That's a really good, really, nice. really good shout. And sits perfectly with that folk countryside feel that I want to sort of like spin through this. Directors? Uh, okay. I've got, I've got one. Well, Anyone. I wasn't sure uh, whether I wanted to do a director for each section, um, it, as mm, they do with Twilight Zone, the movie and things yeah. like that. That's uh, So I was thinking, like, for the witch section, and it's probably quite obvious, but David Lowry, mm-hmm. get, yeah, great show. get that Green Knight energy. He did that yes. so well. Like, um, that, that he'd have the look and the land and all of that kind of folkiness that he managed to imbue in the atmosphere, bang on. Uh, the werewolf section, because it goes completely 400% mad, I want Gareth Evans, because I think he's really good at delivering that, man. Yeah, and he yeah. can handle horror really well. I dug a lot of Apostle. I liked his section yes. in uh, VHS. VHS. I think the first VHS yeah. he did was uh, was uh, great. Stand up. Um, and then for the vampire section... Uh, I was thinking like David Slade, but only because of 30 Days of Night, which is one of my favourite mm. vampire films. But then I went back and was like, well, just why not just get Neil Marshall in? Because I've ripped him off for it. So let's have him yeah. in to do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For my, for, I have one director to do all of it. So that's a nice contrast to yours. Lovely. Yep. So I was thinking of Neil Jordan, obviously did Interview the Vampire, but also yeah. did The Company of Wolves. Um, and he's got a yes. great kind of, a lovely mix of fantastical and... Um, real world kind of lived in grittiness and I think he'd bring a lot of folkiness to it in the, in yeah. the best possible way yeah, like yeah. A lot, yep. he'll bring a, a, the folktale magic to each segment if you if you were to have one director to do all of it but I quite like the the three wicked I loved it thank you so much I was suitably spooked and excited and chilled to the very bone ah <laughs> <laughs> So for my coming time, you gave a list of three films to wet the whistle. So <laughs> if I were to do the same, uh, I would suggest watching, before the main picture, I would suggest watching Carrie, mm. The Craft, oh. Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Consider my whistle whetted, sir. <laughs> okay, so for my Clementine, now it's going to be a very bare-bone structure because... I want. I wanted originally a lean ninety-minute movie, mm-hmm. ninety-minute horror movie. But as is my way, it's kind of built and built and built. So I might pitch. I'm going to pitch the movie, but I might pitch it as a trilogy of movies. Oh, dude, fitting for a horror episode as well. And there Absolutely. we go. So I'll go through the each one. Each there's three different time periods, and I broke them down into kind of. As, as a kind of victory lap of horror or homage to horrors, they've got different types, I guess. So the first one will be in the 1950s. This is going to be a, a very much the Stephen King kind of territory. Oh. And I'm basically just going to rip off Carrie, I guess. So we'll start with um, <laughs> a, high school, a high schooler called Posey. And she is an outsider. She lives on the other part of town, maybe in like, um, a very poor part of town, maybe in like a shack in the woods or maybe like a trailer park. Um, but she still goes to a standard kind of high school. And she's considered an outsider. She's considered a weirdo by the other kids. Social interactions aren't quite up to 
up to snuff. She wants to get involved. She wants to kind of be, but she just can't do it. It's not right. She's an outsider. Um, she's pushed around, obviously, by the bullies. And I'm thinking that she might be into some witchcrafty kind of stuff, some Wiccan stuff. She likes to commune with nature and she likes to... Tarot cards. Um, uh... Tarot cards. And she finds a Ouija board. Maybe she's got a couple of friends who are kind of on the fence about the whole thing. They they do it, but only as a laugh, but she's a bit more serious about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she finds, a, maybe she finds an old Ouija board in the Stephen King kind of way, a bit like Christine. She finds after <laughs> it, bad no, day at school. It finds her, man. It finds she her. She does not it calls find out it. To her. Yeah, yeah. It's in the window of a shop when no one else can see it, like yeah. kind of thing. And it's yeah. just calling to her. You're on a garage she, sale. She walks past on the way to get to her trailer. Yeah, it, yeah. it's just there looking yeah. perfectly. Like the sun glints off the, the little <laughs> board and reflects into yeah, the her golden eye lettering. And kind of yeah. Yes. And so she takes this Ouija board and. She gets contacted by a demon. This is where I'm going to need your help because it's going to need a steam. <laughs> is this because I'm really good at contacting demons? Because <laughs> Larm will not fuck off. Man. I want the Ouija board demon to have a very suitable Stephen King kind of name. So, for example, Captain Trips was the um, the disease in the stand. Um, I can't remember the... Uh, Mr. Snoogie? Mr. Snoogie. <laughs> okay. <fair enough>. <laughs> <laughs> they, they become friends. She talks to it. They communicate. I want... Um, Posey to kind of start a relationship, a secret relationship with maybe a jock or a high schooler who, you know, maybe in a she's all that kind of way, <laughs> yeah, um, yep. kind of gets like is a dare to go out with her, or they have a connection maybe because they went to the same primary school where they grew up together a little bit, but he's now this kind of this jock. Yeah, well, he moved away from, uh, he was like like next door, living next door to her, but because yeah. of his jockiness and his jock abilities, he's got scholarships, mm. he's moved over to the better yes. sand side of town, man, but still he's like... The, he's the big town prospect and he's, yeah. the, he's the jock. And, um, and then she has a dalliance with the jock. So I think maybe the, um, the Ouija board might, can instruct her to um, get pregnant. I was thinking that maybe she could um, create like a love potion or something for the jock. But I, I want like his, uh, when he is under the influence of it, um, to be a bit like there was a Buffy episode, I think, when I think Xander got Willow to brew a love potion or found it yes, in her spell right. book and then it all went really bad because it got proper... Yes. Strange people like almost tearing his flesh off, like perfume, yeah. that kind of a thing. I'd like it to start affecting the jock beyond just like a eh, like in a very primal, horrible sort of nice, okay, over well, the top, crazy way. And everyone at the party is a little bit like, it's like this, this guy. So she does um, eventually. She become she falls pregnant. She starts changing. She starts. She thinks or she starts feeling a lot more attractive to other people there's a glow about her and she calls the child clementine hmm. and um she's got this whole um history of this child inside her she's not just a baby she's got this whole future mapped out for it they said oh you've even named it already and she's like yeah it's called clementine because the baby told me that was her name and she's and is she still in communicado with the demon as well is she like checking in is uh, how is that relationship like is she going to be yeah so they 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 speak she speaks to the this yeah she's it's almost like it's her physician she speaks to the the Ouija board and it's contacting her and telling her you know and she'll go like. up there i want her to be like floods of tears and like i'm pregnant and then just it to spell out good 
Yes, yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, like and like no, no, not phased at all, and then like start to it's say all like part of the plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then obviously the boyfriend finds out about the, the boyfriend. Sorry, the jock finds out about this, and it's uh, he tricks her to go with him to a doctor who's going to like examine her to make sure that everything's okay, and he tricks her into a backstreet abortion, but luckily. Once she realises what's going on, she luckily escapes from the situation. Maybe she, the, the boyfriend just dumps her off there and he kind of doesn't really give a shit. He's, the love potion's worked off. He just wants nothing to do with her anymore and also she's a bit weird. So what she kind of... Uh, has she got any powers coming from the... Does the demon ever intervene in in the real world as of outside no, of their consultations? No. <laughs> oh, no. carry on. So sorry, sir. That's okay. <laughs> so she, she luckily uh, escapes from the situation and then later on, maybe that evening or something, the Backstreet physician dies horribly by accident. I'm thinking some kind of Final Destination style series of events totally explainable as an absolute accident like the Omen, he, he sleeps example. underneath all of his scalpel collection and it's all <laughs> mounted on a lovely board above him <laughs> in his new house right next door to an overpass railway there's <laughs> just rumbling and every day the scalpels get closer and closer towards the edge of the shelf above his face yeah there's just like a little bit of dust on the headboard where the screw is coming <laughs> loose from the wall yeah. and builds over time <laughs> So, yeah, he will die horribly by some kind of... And I, th- I think her escape from that situation should also be a little... There should be a something uh, smashes in the back room or there's a fire that mm. starts in the kitchen. There is something that happens that draws his attention so she can get out that is clearly yes. the, the work of uh, Mr Snoogles. Mr Snoogles. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, he dies horribly, but as he's dying or the last thing he sees is her. So maybe it's outside and he gets... Um, I was thinking he gets going to get hung by something, and he's, he's dangling there. She's in the street or something like that. I like could it? <laughs> I'm trying to think. It can't be an elevator. I want his necktie to get like mm. caught necktie. He'll have a horrible stained, disgusting, fetid necktie that he's always mopping his mouth out when he's talking to her as well. And this yeah, is like gross. a thing that he does. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and then I want that to get caught in something. And then to one of, the, one of those up. big elevators with the great kind of yeah, yeah, yeah that's sh- it. Junk. Yeah, and you just sit like and that's it. Yeah, man. So and we've gone just... very omen. Yeah, flip it off, man. Yes. Yeah. So the last thing he sees as he's hanging is Posey's staring, and she him. just stood like across the road, top lit by a street light, mm. bogging him out, man. As he's like, and then we, yeah, yeah. Um, she continues the pregnancy, getting more and more involved with Mister Stoogles acting more erratically and weirdly around school or around town, this small town. Um, and the bullies, led now by the, the boyfriend who's disgusted at his behaviour, uh, what he did and realises that he probably was drugged or whatever. He and his mates in a hor- another horrible... Lots of horrible things happened to this woman. <laughs> I was thinking that um, she gets... They're in well, the, it's there. Carrie. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He and his jock mates, maybe with some of their girlfriends, they're in one of their like 1950s... Hot rod cars or something, and they're just chasing her home, driving quite slowly, but <laughs> yeah. And she's holding a baby and running away, holding Clementine. And they want to scare her, not kill her, but they want to really, really scare her. But kids again, being stupid and amping themselves they just up, they take they, it way yeah, too far. Yeah, 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 Lord of the Flies style thing, man. Yeah. But then, as they maybe going to run her down or something like that, or they maybe they just wing her and she like falls on the ground, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, that was a bit too, bit too close." And then again, another 
final destination style accident happens to the car with the people in it, maybe in the high street. So there are witnesses and it's just this bloodbath of maybe the car just gets taken out by a juggernaut that just seems to appear out of nowhere and it's just running through the town. Mm-hmm. And it's got and the maximum overdrive sort of joker yeah, face on the front. Face. Yeah. <laughs> Snoogles Express. <laughs> <laughs> this, the 50s element of this is quite sparse so this might work in a kind of flashbacks to the next one but we'll get to it okay yeah, yeah anyway yeah, yeah. so yeah. the small town mourns the funeral because you know they were prized jocks and people blame her and she kind of gets ostracized even further she's bullied by the kids the end of this film or this segment of the the story is the the bullies catch up with her finally and they fake her suicide. Uh, well, they try to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Slit, her, slit her wrist or yeah. anything like that. But she's found just in time and she wakes up and they say, the doctors say that the baby died and she's obviously distraught and she's totally lost her mind. So she, unfortunately, she gets committed to an asylum because she's a bit of a weirdo. She's 50s logic. Downtown, 50s logic. <laughs> she's hysterical. She's hysterical. <laughs> So let's see, yep. let's put some electrodes in her head and chuck her in an in asylum. And the, uh, the the B movie ending of the film is that um, it cuts to like an adoption centre and two. Sorry, I don't know what that was. There's a baby goat has taken over Luke. I think it's a tiny, faraway donkey. I didn't mean it. <laughs> that was my scary B-movie ending. Baby cry. I've loved it. So, yeah, the, the ending would be the, an adoption centre and two um, two people are looking through the glass window at all the babies and they see one and it's yeah. got Clementine written, so obviously the baby's alive and it was just taken away from her. Yes. Yeah. So that's the, like the 1950s section, and obviously we were populated with loads of tropes from Stephen King. Yeah, like we got bullies. greasers, jocks, uh, bullies, nerds, High sweet kids, outsiders. Man, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And we'll give her a couple of, uh, like you said, we've got the two. Uh, we we get to witness uh, her decline and further obsession with uh, Mr. Snoogles via mm-hmm. the two friends that she has that then drift away. We'll have those guys yeah. who start off and then we'll have, uh, like, there'll be that uh, beautifully horrible sort of, we- I'm very scared of Ouija boards. Like, I gen- mm, there, there, there used to be one in <sighs> the loft and this isn't going to be, <laughs> and I went up there and now I'm at David. But like, um, <laughs> that, that just the knowledge that there was one in the loft was very scary to me, man, because I was like, that's, really that's, and I still don't think I would to this day, like, do anything with one. That's how no, 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 no. And then part of that, this is what I had to suffer through while you were asleep during paranormal activity, by the way, because there was Ouija boards that catch fire. But we'll have something like that with the two friends. There'll be a horrible event where the demon shows too much of himself to all three because he gets maybe a little bit arrogant and thinks maybe I can have three to my brood and not just the one. And that is when they are peace out. Uh, never coming back then no more talking we are not together anymore and that's when yeah. he uh, then then we follow the relationship with her and the jock and that's our yes. sort of handoff point. and I'd like and if we are 
um, doing a lot of pastiche from other films, I would like a St. Maud-style devoutness to her pregnancy that she just gets so obsessed with it and the baby and all the things that she's doing. And she speaks um, for Clementine all the time. She's always talking yes. on the behalf yeah, of Clementine, yeah, yeah. like she wouldn't like that, that's not what she wants. There's always this mm. very clear, like you said, about the clear line to Clementine's future. She mm. is she is constantly verbalising that to everyone that she talks to and that's all she talks yeah. about. Or Danny in... Yes. Shining with red yep. rum. Yeah, yep, yep. Maybe she'll have some affectation of Clementine that she talks to and always carries around. Like, um, she's pregnant, but she has, she buys a pram or she finds an old pram and she puts a baby in it to, like, <laughs> with a Clementine think, for a head. With a Clementine for a head. <laughs> <laughs> but originally, people think that it's, it's like cute, but she takes it too far. She's absolutely preparing for it, um, as if it's a real thing. Like, yeah, well, she'll, uh, is, is she high school, did we say? Yeah, yeah, she'll bring like it to high school, and then the jocks will get hold of this fake, this kid in a like this fake kid in a, this this, this doll, yeah, and they'll mean. chuck it, and she will go insane. Like they'll yeah, be like mentally insane, just like absolutely uh, yes. fifty-five instead of five or whatever, and yeah. everyone's like, yeah, my baby, okay. my baby, my in baby. the middle of the uh, canteen, you know. Cool. So, bam, bam, bam. We see Clementine. She is resigned to asylum. That's the last we see of her, mm, of her Paul Posey for now. Mm-hmm. And then we're on to... 80s. Oh, yes. I've been good. <laughs> well, it, it might not be 80s. Maybe it shouldn't be 50s. Maybe it should be like 60s. Say 70s 60s. Because, um, because Clementine is 16 in this one, so I guess... Anyway, so Clement- Clementine is uh, 16, it's in the 80s, so she's a, she's a good kid, she's loved by her foster parents, but they haven't told her that she's adopted. adopted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been living a good home life. She volunteers um, in the evenings for extra credit. She volunteers at the, the hospital, the asylum, I guess. I'm sorry if that's not the appropriate word to say, but uh, the, the, the institution... Well, as it was health. known in that time and how they yes. would refer to it in that time, yeah. So for some reason, she, she volunteers. All her, all her other schoolmates who are getting extra credit volunteer, like the library or um, the work in a diner. But she's drawn to it and she's kind, she's kind to an old woman who never talks um, and she's in the cell, but she, like, she reads to her through the door. Um, she's at a high school party again, like wholesome kid. I'm thinking of aged up Regan and the Exorcist at the beginning. Oh, um, when uh, Regan's so lovely and full of light and just chirpy, yeah, and just a really sweet kid. I'd like this kind of Clementine to be like that. Yeah, high school party. Uh, upstairs in the high school party, someone gets a Ouija board out. Oh, for f- and um, they all start doing it, and it's not something that's. Uh, uh, Clementine really wants to get involved in. She's fine sitting on the periphery, but it's not really for me. She's just watching and laughing and making fun of all the, the people playing it. Oh, you pushed it, you pushed yeah, it, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. you did it. And everyone has a go, and that's like kind of the end of the Ouija board, and someone who's leading things says, like, Who, who's next? And the dark, the, the plaque immediately on its own spins around and points to <laughs> Clementine, and she's like, oh, it's a bit weird. Um I'm going to look. Yeah, Bill, was that you, Bill? That's Come Bill. on, but man. I, I imagine yeah. like no one's got hands on it. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah, moves on its own yeah. and points straight to her. Yeah, yeah. And everyone kind of laughs it off, but she's a bit. Oh, don't really like it. Then I've got something happens. Brilliant. Well done, me. <laughs> it's good to remind <laughs> yourself that every now and again, yeah. though, man. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so now it goes into like bullet points. So she goes home and she starts having nightmares and. I want a section because sleepwalking is scary. She sleepwalks or sleep drives to the hospital. She's not quite herself. She's a bit kind of something's 
changing, I guess, calling. Yeah. Calling and, yeah. Then she has maybe has an argument um, with her parents or they sit her down. She comes home one day after work or school and the parents are sat down and they, they've been preparing for this difficult conversation all their lives and now's the time to have it. And they say that she's adopted and it doesn't go the way that they thought because she's such a lovely, wonderful, kind, normal um, normally so kind and compassionate they think it's going to be a difficult conversation but as adults they'll be able to get through it but her reaction is not what they expected and she kind of freaks out I guess and screams and shouts runs away goes to her boyfriend they have sex um, maybe for the first time or something she loses her virginity to her boyfriend who's probably a nice kid and they're driving home she doesn't want to go home driving her back to the home car crash okay. yeah. yeah 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 random animal Snoogans and the dark side have, like, dominion over animals, yes. man. They can make them do some very bad stuff, like flying into planes, rotors, and all yeah, that kind yeah, of malarkey, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A stag comes out, like, maybe it's, yeah, like... Yeah, stag definitely they, they hits it, through the window. The wind screaming, and it's, like, scrabbling around. Boyfriend's dead. She wakes up, and the car crash. Car's, like, flipped open. Yeah, the boyfriend's yeah. just, like, wiped ding, down. Ding, Yeah, ding, the lights, the ding. indicator lights. The blinkers go in, yep. She wakes up, eyes blinking, tries to move, can't looks down and sees that she's completely impaled like through her chest with like um, a telegraph pole or something like... Or like your branch, whatever. A branch, yeah, yeah, yeah completely yeah. like, yeah. oh, fuck. Then we have a, a scene where she kind of extricates herself from the car and it's really horrible and she's screaming and, and crying, but she gets out and uh, and then she stands up and, and looks down at herself and she can see like there's a big hole in her and like she definitely should be dead like 100 oh, yeah, she's yeah yeah dude uh, the headlight of the car it's is like shining, shining through, through her, her hole and like, yeah and we've got a shot of her silhouetted mm -hmm. with that the, the, so the light yeah, coming through there's this lots of bits wind. there's lots of bits missing in this pitch but we can start plugging in as i get the bare yeah. bones okay yeah, yeah so she should be dead and I, in, in all effects she is dead and she walks back home this is going to get super leaping over stuff now she walks back home she's yeah. not herself Murders the foster parents. Like, we're going to Halloween territory now. Can one of them, like, reach out to defend themselves and their hand goes through the hole in her <laughs> and, like, we get a shot from behind of, like, no, 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 and then just yeah. one hand breaking through yeah. and then trembling and then going limp as he's, like, the life is strangled out of them, man. Yeah. Okay. So, murders foster parents then goes to the asylum where she kind of murders her way through the orderlies to get to the padded woman's cell where she's then re she frees the woman who's obviously her mother an, el an elderly mother and then they escape so the idea being that clementine a bit like in highlander Clem clementine was human up until <laughs> that's amazing mm, yes. i was not expecting no, that no, man. Expecting that whipped me round <laughs> um, in highlander they're human until they have their first death and then they're removed. yeah 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 yes so yes. Clementine, clementine was human until she died and Mr. Snoogles, who was always inside her, is now born. Born. So she's now yes. like a un an undead kind of zombie, I guess. Well, 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 no, it's like because her soul has left, that has that leaves room for Snoogles to come in and take up residence, mm. man. Yeah. That, and because he has already sown the seeds. Uh, horribly literally uh earlier in the other movie or in the flashbacks man like that is just where he switches over he's well. just right, I mean, waiting for it so he's re yep. he's reunited 
uh, Snuggles is reunited with the mother and they escape the asylum. So that would be like the B-movie B movie ending. Obviously, a lot is going to happen that we haven't covered within that. Uh, absolutely. And we'll, we'll really lay into, like, I want to really capture that 80s, um, which most like the 50s had this, like mm. there are certain, I, I want that beaming, optimistic, everything's groovy, sweet apple pie and bacon mm. muffins for you all. That's how we, I want her to be just lovely yeah. when we meet her man like i want and per and happy and perfect yeah and then she of, becomes destroy that she the... becomes the 80s slasher show so by the end of it she's michael myers for all intents and purposes yeah because yeah, yeah. I, I was interested in developing that backstory a little bit to where how someone would become this 80s non-unstoppable killing machine yep yeah, like, do we see her imbued with more power and is able to, like, shove us, uh, the security guard of the hospital's head through the bars and snap no, his neck I was off? No, all... I don't think so. I was thinking of that film recently called Malignant, where oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Sorry to the filmmakers. But there's a bit, I think, towards the end when the malignant part of it takes over and she can do all yeah, crazy that, yeah. stuff that is physically impossible. I don't, yeah, other yeah. than the fact that she's undead, I still want her to be like more of a normal, like Michael Myers can survive a lot of damage, but he can't like pick up a car. You know, yep. you can still just yep. stab people. So the yep. third part of it, I've just, it's either the third film or it's the third act, depending on how we reframe it. <laughs> so this is a, this is the slasher part of it now the third film it's a straight up kind of body horror slasher time thing and maybe a couple of years later <laughs> Posey and Clementine are um, have come back to town it's the typical slasher film of people of teenagers getting picked off probably set at college or something like that or at the high school and Clementine under a false identity or whatever she's picking off the children <laughs> of the bullies of Posey's beliefs from when she was a mum. So it's either their children or their grandchildren. I haven't worked out the time. Grandchildren, maybe. No, children. Children by that point. Yeah, because yeah, she's yeah, a child. I was either yeah. thinking of grandchildren or children because I was thinking in if, in a Stephen King kind of way, maybe earlier on um, in the, the middle film, lots of these kids at the high school that Clementine goes to, they go to a lot of funerals. Like a lot of people's parents are dying in accidents or weird ways because Mr. Snoogles is kind of picking people off that upset or hurt yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever yes in a, a similar way to in like in it's when there's just a rash of children deaths and no one really talks about it a lot of these parents are getting picked off but the children are still there clementine would be the agent of destruction controlled by posy her mother who goes about acting revenge um, on the innocent children in a nightmare on elm street kind of way for the sins of the parent we need an ending well, it's got to be like, do we do we switch from the POV of uh, Posey and Clem mm -hmm. that we've had in the first two acts or yeah. uh, movies, and then do we get introduced now? We start we need a the, Luke third Skywalker. Act or the third movie, exactly that, and we don't meet uh, Clem or Posey for quite a while. Yeah. And I just like to build like this, like this good um, kind of uh, inquisitive, in ingenious kid or whatever who's just like clearly a bit switched on. They got a nice group of mates. They got a really good support system. They've got really good friends. They got mm. very healthy relationships. Nothing is bad here, man. There is no twistedness, and we just get to live with them in for their a bit. little club. They they're just like 
paranormal investigators around the oh, town. Oh God, yes. Oh my God, they're yes, definitely. Yeah, they're part like stories. like the, the Milwaukee Murder and Mystery Club or something yeah. like that, man. And they just have their little treehouse in a stand by me kind of fashion, and they just talk about spooky things, man. And like one of them like brings a, a Ouija board right at the start, and it's kind of like Fright Night as well, where you get the uh, the guy who's pretending to be an expert yes. on vampires and things, and then it's like, oh shit, I've got to put my money where my mouth is, <laughs> yeah. man. Um, who is it in uh, Halloween? Um, oh, Pleasance, isn't Donald it? Doctor yeah. Loomis. Doctor Loomis, yeah. yeah, someone like that. He's been following. <laughs> he's so good. Maybe. He just shot shot away, man. He's got a five thousand oh, yeah. yard stare because of everything he's, he's seen. Survived. He life. was an orderly at the institution, oh, and he survived. Yes. And he saw it. Yeah, and like and Loomis, he's, been... he's got a disfiguration of some kind. Yeah. I think Loomis has got the so he's using like... all the best elements of all these horror yeah, movies. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Them definitely, all man. And I want to start like start Act Three real happy. We're gonna. It's almost it as if it's kind of. Yeah, yeah, just like it's all groovy, man. Everything's cool. Good group of friends. They're having fun in a standby me kind of a mm. modern standby me kind of a way. And they start getting and picked then off. We drop the yeah. Maybe we have a couple of deaths, or we bring in uh, someone coming to town, and we do the big reveal. It's Clementine, and yes. that's where we're like, oh, or we could shit. do it after like, um, we've had a few weird deaths. So for my ending, I went. <laughs> I was thinking, how how can this end? And I've just for some reason. Don't even know what it means. I put birth in reverse. So I was thinking like <laughs> Clementine gets sucked into Posey in a kind of But she yeah, somehow she gets drawn, maybe the demon or whatever gets sucked into the Ouija board or they become it's she has to go back inside her mother. Yeah, well, like at this point, like what is how is uh, is Posey uh, is Posey like the granddad in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's just she's just like a a husk that like can barely communicate or just like like does the (laughs) she's got yeah she like eats through a straw communication with straw yeah but she's still got a hold over over um, Clementine, who is still un- undead but unrotted somehow. And there's, yeah, well, like... Uh, uh, like It's the evil of the of Mr. Sniggles is keeping her young and... Yeah, 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 that's his power, man. Yeah. Like, he just needed the inn. When he's got the inn, he can keep everything running, man. He just needs the keys of the Jaguar or whatever. Do you know what I mean, man? He's absolutely ready to take over this corpse and let it live for as long as his powers allow, yeah. as long as he is doing all of these horrific, nefarious things that he's up to. Because I want some, like, scenes when, like, uh, Posey and Clem are communicating with each other and you've got that just like and it's almost (laughs) so we're going to bring a bit of psycho in with the yes mother I understand you mother but it's not even mother anymore because this is uh, Snoogles in you know he doesn't care about keeping any pretense of the fact that he is a he's a teenage lady Mm. or whatever it is man he's quite happy just to communicate almost as maybe they could switch places when they need to so when Clem a bit like in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari where he um awakes Caesar the Somnambulist to go out and perform his dark deeds when yeah. Mr. Snoogles can transfer from Posey into Clementine to revivify her to go out and perform in the real world. They have a weird symbiotic relationship where they can move between each other. It's getting a bit weird. Yeah, well, well that's it. But then I like the idea of like uh, a sort of uh, putrefying, pose, uh, putrefying Clementine that is revivified every time Posey, because like they want to disguise themselves, so maybe they do go, go back to the same town, but uh, in order to uh, to completely disguise themselves, like she takes the youth and vigor of the demon, and she's and and Posey sucks it into her mm. to get that revivified. Oh, this is 
posy as she was back in the day. Kind yeah, of thing, no one's going to remember her. Or, yeah, or the old people. I, I think I recognise her. She looks. She really looks like you some, are the spitting image of blah blah blah. Shame, yeah, yeah. total shame. What happened to her? And she's just walking around in plain sight. Yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. But like dressed in '90s wear or whatever. She's rocking <laughs> now uh, to bring back the craft. Yeah, so yeah, to bring back the craft. So it's kind of got a, a touch of the picture of Dorian Gray in it as well. So Clementine's body <laughs> yeah, is degrading, yeah. but then it's revivified, and sometimes it's posy. And that's it. And we feed back to Posey um, when she's talking about about Clementine. She start like way back in the in the first act. In the first, she starts to use like the royal wheel a lot. Mm. Um, she starts to treat Clementine as her. Uh, and like I will, she speaks in eyes when she's talking about Clementine somewhere because she knows that the demon is promising like this everlasting transference of energy and yeah. life for her moving forward, and that's her like big, uh, big reward for the servitude that she has given Mister Snoogins. So is it? Um, a reward thing for everlasting life or is it a revenge thing to come back and beat the bullies or is it a bit of both uh, well I suppose her reward is a revenge mm. and to do that she needs the uh, that she needs the extension of life that she is getting through this transference <laughs> so we need yeah we do need to have someone come in and figure all this bollocks out I was thinking for the um, originally for the, the the third part when Clementine is going around murdering the high school kids she's almost not the heroine, but she's the best mate of the Luke Skywalker. So it is much more of a teen slasher. That's one of us amongst us is picking off these people. And so Clementine will be um, sort of like the Ouija board was to uh, Posey to the uh, group of kids that we meet who yeah. are the investigators. And she'll 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 sucker uh, sucker the kids in by showing very small strange kind of magic yes that she can some do. of the leaders just really really like simple Can't tricks that could almost just be exactly that man that could almost just be a magic trick but there's always a little bit of a bite to any of the magic she does like the frog she makes disappear uh, so when we were talking about getting scared by things as kids like there are certain things that will just unsettle the hell out you want to run away from mm. it's that ability to to fascinate with mm. the horror that you're presenting as opposed to repel man and she has got the knack to do that when she is uh weaving her way through the uh, generation of kids that wronged her in the yeah. past it's a different type of this would probably be a bit more 90s so it's a different type of horror now yeah we're going urban legend uh, i know we did last summer scream kind of thing yeah so yeah, yeah. much like lincoln's inn was an anthology we're kind of doing an anthology here through these three films or this, this one film that kind of yes, merges yes. timelines and stuff. And then you'd really be able to stamp the time periods on each one mm. of them that we want to stamp in. We'd really be able to flesh out all of the characters enough so whenever anything happened, it was truly horrifying, man. And then I like the fact that we come in with uh, film number three and we start with an absolute double bluff red herring and it's all just lovely. <laughs> yeah. And it's just about these cute kids having like a Kings of Summer style uh, investigation yeah. Uh, and then in walks Clem with, I guess, a hoodie on or something to cover a wound. <laughs> of course, <laughs> she it. never wears a crop top, man. <laughs> like ever in the nineties, that's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult costuming. So yeah, that was kind of my broad overview for my Clementine, oh, a kind of great. victory lap through horror film genres and staples and pastiches and licking some bits and stitching it together. I love the being able to explore the different kinds of horror with each <laughs> yes. movie as well, man. All right. Well, that was my Clementine. Oh, mate, thank you very much. Dude. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, 
Let's be honest here, it wasn't one pitch, you gave us three films. That's that's not bad. I don't think we've had a trilogy pitched uh, yet, and there is no better time than Halloween for that. We had three different pitches for Starlight Stanley. <laughs> you gave us a trilogy in your anthology film. Yeah, 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 I guess I, I'm just liking the, the complete split, man. You chilled my spine. <laughs> you sent some shivers off it. Nice. <laughs> uh, you made me feel like I was reaching into a bag with my eyes closed and touching eyeballs or worms, uh, like we used to do at Halloween yeah, parties, yeah, man. Yeah. Scary stuff. Uh, and generally felt like kind of slippery with viscera, like when uh, Blair is doing the autopsy of the thing. Man. Oh, that was amazing. that was cracking, man. That really later. appreciate that. Dude. Oh, you're Tony welcome. Moly. You're welcome. Wow, that was a lot Ooh, of horror and a lot of... That was a horror-packed bonanza of blood, man. <laughs> that was an absolute orgy of gorgy, and I'm happy that occurred, man. Yeah, Jesus wept. Well so, yeah, us. dude, like, we've dropped a lot of... Um, like, thank you guys as well so much for listening. As always, man, uh, we really, really enjoy doing a little one-shot for this uh, very special yes. time of year. We implore you, um, although this is going to drop... Well, this is going to drop the night before Halloween, mm. actually. So you have ample time to terrify yourselves and so like some of the movies we mentioned like i implore you if you haven't had a butcher's there's there's some absolutely cracking horrors in there and i really hope that we uh can in a, a small or large way add to the complete and utter spookiness <laughs> of your halloween guys and thank you so much for coming into this haunted haunted mind cinema with us and I guess we shall see you all when we see you. Anon. Anon, maybe in your dreams mm. or your nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> So the incantations of doom and despair are over for another annum. The candles are guttering, the wind is abating, and the wolves on the moor ravage no longer. We bid thee all safe passage from the gates of the Psychokino toward hearth and dream, and pray you dream not further of what you have seen and heard behind this veil, for should you do so, what eternal unreason may then befall you? But should thine thirst lust for more tales of mystery and imagination, I say then to thee, sail to the lands of the neverpress.com to further seek out your terrible misfortunes.